Michelle Portlock with Navigating the Spectrum, and I am so happy to be here today with my friend Michelle Huggins. Michelle is a mother of two boys, an avid lover of the great outdoors, and has her master's in special education. Thank you for being with us today, Michelle. Thanks for having me here, Michelle. <laughs> We're both Michelle's twins. Um, today, I am going to pick Michelle's brain about IEPs. So let's go ahead and get started. Michelle, I'm just going to jump in with some of these questions. Um, the first question I have for you is, who initiates an IEP? Okay, that's a really good question. And um, it's kind of a long answer because the IEP is the final part of a much bigger process. So when you ask who initiates an IEP, um, anybody can initiate, but what they're actually initiating is a referral for an evaluation. Okay. So um, a parent might be concerned and wants to look into if there's issues, um, academically, speech, um, et cetera, with their child. A teacher might have concerns. Um, a child might be in intervention and the intervention specialist might have concerns. So it can be a variety of people. Okay. Um, and that what they're actually doing is they're requesting a referral for an evaluation. And that's the first step. And in that referral, that's when the team, including parents, teachers, um, anybody that might be a part of that is going to start gathering data and gathering information to say, okay, what do we have? And do we have enough information to actually go through with an evaluation? So that's what, that's what you would be requesting. So like I said, a parent can do that. Um, and there is a chance that in when they, come, they, when they come to that referral meeting, there might not be enough data and they might say, no, we actually don't wanna do an evaluation. And at that point, a parent can say, well, yes, I do want an evaluation. Um, a school can refuse, but I, I don't see that that's not likely. And if that were to happen, then a parent would have due process. Oh, good. So they, they, they always have the right to an evaluation. Okay, that's really good information. So another question that I've had on my mind is how is an IEP different than a 504? Okay, so they're different. Um, they're kind of under different umbrellas. So an IEP is under the um, IDEA, which is the um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And that has lots and lots of safeguards for parents and students. And that's actually, um, once you have an IEP, you're provided with special education services. Um, so you have small group lessons and you have very explicit um, instruction. And a 504 also is, it's a, it's a law. And so what that provides is it provides a student with modifications and accommodations. So they're in a classroom setting, they, they stay in their general education classroom setting, but they are able to write up accommodations and modifications for a child. And those can be wide ranging. They can be mental health accommodations. They can be accommodations that assist if a child has ADHD and needs breaks. Um, they can be accommodations that address anxiety for perhaps test taking. Um, so they are very different. 
but they're both useful. Um, you just might, it, a 504 you would, you would likely have because your child just doesn't fall within the range to receive an IEP. Okay, that actually answered the next question I wanted to ask you was, um, it sounds like the IEP is mostly determined through the collection of data and also testing and potential scores on testing. Yeah. Okay. And the 504 yeah. is special accommodations. Correct. Okay. Correct. And, okay. and just to touch, I mean, the 504, that's not, there, there isn't just one or the other. You don't have an IEP or a 504. Um, most schools have um, what's called MTSS, and that stands for Multi-Tiered system, Systems of Support. Yeah. And if you think of an umbrella, mm -hmm. what schools are trying to do is have all sorts of supports available for students under that umbrella. Um, special education would be one, mental health would be one, and mental health underneath that umbrella, mental health has its own umbrella, and you have counselors, you have a psychologist, you have a social worker, you have health health teachers. So it's just a way of schools trying to collect all kids, you know, because there's there's a range, yeah. and we need to make sure that that all of the um, needs are being addressed. Okay, they're all included and that kids are getting what they need. Yeah. So you have a big responsibility. <laughs> um, my other, thank you, that was a great answer. Another question I have for you is how do you determine what is included and not included in an IEP? Okay, that's a good question. Um, so if we go back to what I was talking to at the very beginning about a referral, mm -hmm. um, when you, you have what's called a multi, multidisciplinary team, and that includes the parents, that includes a general education teacher, the intervention specialist, and then you also want to look at, okay, what, I, I sent out a questionnaire to the parents, and they have these concerns. I am, I've collected data and spoken with the teacher, and they have these concerns, and that kind of allows you to say, okay, I think we are looking at maybe some anxiety, maybe some mental mental health issues. Mm -hmm. um, we have speech issues. So in that referral process, that's when you decide who is going to be part of an IEP meeting or an evaluation, because it can't just be one thing. You need to, when you evaluate a student, you need to evaluate them on the basis of many different aspects and the evaluation might say, no, they don't have speech issues or they don't have any academic issues, but yes, they do have speech or they do have social language issues. So essentially um, you're saying if I took my child in for, to have an IEP and all of this data was collected and it was determined that my child had some speech delays and potentially some uh, fine motor skill delays that that would require a speech therapist to participate in the IEP and uh, a potentially an occupational therapist, and then maybe yes. a special ed. Okay, so it it is yes. based and on also what the special education. Yeah, the special education teacher as well, and all that person would do was would say, based on my evaluation, um, this person does not qualify for academic support. But okay. yeah, it's comprehensive, and that's important. 
that is important. I think it's also important for parents to know that they might need to bring in another trusted adult with them because sometimes it gets overwhelming and they're missing a few of the pieces. It's nice to have their own. It could be a best friend. It could be the other spouse. It could be your mom, but they can bring in another trusted adult to help them remember the key points that they're trying to have addressed and make sure yeah. they're staying on top of it. So that's, that's a good um, thing for parents to remember when they're working and creating that IEP environment. Yeah. And it is, it, there's a lot of people involved, so it's over, it can be very overwhelming. So sure. And also I've heard parents bring in advocates uh, and that's another idea that another step that they could take. Um, it could be, you could call an advocate essentially your best friend, but typically an advocate is someone who knows the IEP process and can help you as a parent um, more readily identify the needs. And so that's also yeah. a help for parents. Advocates often cost extra money for parents though. They, they do and, and they can be great. I would also, I would always parents should never hesitate to ask questions to whoever is part of that team because I, this is a general statement and maybe it isn't the case always, but I would say that more likely than not, those people that are helping to evaluate are more than willing to walk a parent through the steps. Yep. And if that isn't happening, then absolutely get somebody who can sit by with you and help you. I agree. I like that you mentioned that. That's important. I think something you and I were talking about earlier is just making sure that you go in with a neutral kind of a team player type attitude and yeah. try not to be defensive and try to be a good listener and also be able to give a great input as well. Yeah. Just, just, I think to remember that you are part of the team, that parents are part of that team and their input is so valuable and it's a very scary emotional situation, but I mean, they, they are just as much of that, a part of that team as anybody in the school. I love that. I love that point. Um, here's another question. I have a few more, but it looks like we've kind of hit some of these. So that's okay. really good. So here's another question. What can parents do if their child's IEP is not being met by their school? So if there, if the IEP is not being met by the school, I would suggest to start at the school level. Um, so start small start small, um, have a meeting and just come with your concerns and see what happens there. Now, the fact that you're asking this question, you know, maybe they've already done that and sure. the, I, you still, the, the, it's still not being met. Um, then you can move up within your school and I think, you know, the highest you'd get would be administration. Oftentimes they'll be part of an in initial meeting with those concerns anyhow. Um, and then if you feel like you still aren't getting anywhere, um, within a district, 
I know our district, but I would say probably most districts have a process. So you can just continue moving forward or up the ladder. Um, we have coordinators. So a coordinator might be involved. Um, Are coordinators we, assigned on a district level? Yes. And okay. so they're assigned to a feeder. Oh, okay. Um, so like our high school feeder has a coordinator. Um, so within our district, we have a we have a, a spreadsheet that kind of shows, okay, if I'm having issues, what is the chain that I need to go through and how do I get answers? So that kind of directs parents, okay, here's where I need to start. If it's not working, this is my next step. If that's not working, this is my next step. So it is a nice flow chart of <laughs> that's good. where it would need to go. Um, and that's always good because like we said at the very beginning, you know, it hopefully you'll be able to resolve the issue and you know it might start out adversarial but you guys come together and you figure things out mm -hmm. and that's that's what you want you you want this to be collaborative you want it to be a team that's working together because ultimately you guys want the same thing mm -hmm. um, so if it's not happening you need to figure it out but hopefully that can happen within your district but the starting point would be at the school level. Okay. Okay. I like that point that you made. Start small and then branch yeah. out as needed. Yeah. And that, and, and sometimes that happens. Sometimes it does. You know, we, I've done a 504 for my, one of my children and the process was actually quite pleasant. <laughs> if I'm being honest, they asked me what I felt my needs were for my child. I gave them outside testing because this child did not qualify academically for any of those supports. So I brought in outside testing that I'd had a professional private practice perform and the school honored that. And we created the 504 together. The principal was there, the teacher was there, and I was there. And we all signed it together, which made it a binding document. And they mailed me my copy and I was on my way and able to reach out to the teacher when I thought that there were, might be a tiny little glitch and the teacher was able to look and say, you're right, let's, let's adjust that. It, it really ha has been quite pleasant. I know that's not the way that it is for all parents, but I hope that's more common than not. I think most of the time teachers are looking out for our children and want to help accommodate. Sometimes we all need reminders, including the parent, and so I just wanted to share a little bit of that so that parents don't get intimidated and think that it's always a really big deal and they need to go in feeling nervous. Right. And that's, I mean, to your point, um, sometimes there might need to be a reminder or just a conversation. Um, a, a teacher might really feel like an accommodation isn't needed anymore because of growth that they're seeing mm. in a classroom environment. Mm -hmm. So just, just an, a conversation might help either say, yeah, we actually need to uh, use that accommodation or no, this is why I think that we just need to pull back a little bit and see if they can do it without. Um, so it, those conversations are super important. 
How often do parents and teachers um, reconnect to assess the IEP or the 504? So from, I can't speak to a 504, but in an, for, for an IEP, um, they're legally mandated and we have to have annual meetings. So we have to have a meeting every year. Um, and then every three years, there has to be a reevaluation. And the reevaluation is exactly what I told you in regards to the evaluation. You have um, standardized tests they, in, in, in whatever services they're being provided you reevaluate all of those services and you might be evaluating additional um, areas of okay. concern. That's good to know. I didn't realize that they retested again. Yes, that's, every that's, three years. Okay, that's really good to know. I'm glad you shared that. So Michelle, this has been a fabulous interview. My last question for you is, do you have any recommendations for parents in this process? Um, I think that my biggest recommendation is just to remember that they, this is an inter interdisciplinary team and they are a team member and they, they need to be honest, um, ask questions. Don't be afraid. There's no question that, that isn't worth asking. It's a huge process. It's not something that if you don't do it every day, you don't know. So mm -hmm. ask as many questions as you can. And if you feel like you need, you know, that somebody to be there with you, like you said, a husband, a friend, whatever, um, just to be a check and balance, have that person. But, you know, just know that um, it's, it's, it's a team and they're part of that team. And the goal, I think to your point, is the goal is to help the individual child. And that's yeah. what you're all for. And that's what the team has been created to do, is to help your child succeed and be the best version of themselves that they can be within this educational system. Exactly. So I thank you so much for meeting with me today and for sharing this is much needed information. And I just really appreciate you. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me.